Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 67 of the show, and it is just an absolutely massive episode for you this week. There's been so much that's gone down in the last week since the last episode that uh, we got to get into. It's going to be an extended episode for you. Of course, March Madness is here. Uh, the men's college basketball brackets have been released. We'll go over that, preview the tournament, which is uh, happening uh, as we drop this episode. And then in baseball, we had a lockout come to an end. We'll get into the specifics on that. Uh, that opened up uh, free agency in the trade market, which has been extremely hot. So we'll cover all the major signings and trades that have gone down. And then, of course, the same thing over in the National Football League. Uh, who cares that it's the offseason in the NFL? They still rule the sports world. Uh, we'll get into lots of signings and uh, that have gone down in the National Football League, uh, including some, some pretty interesting topics there as well. Uh, we'll go over, of course, PGA Tours Players Championship, look ahead to this weekend's Valspar Championship, and then now what seems like a moot point with this episode, the standings updates in the NHL and the NBA. So just a very, very loaded episode for you this week, and we're going to start off in the PGA Tour. Uh, we normally do that, but we'll get that knocked out of the way. Uh, the PGA Tour this past weekend uh, was at TPC Sawgrass in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida for the Players Championship. Okay, TPC Sawgrass was a par 72, distance was 7,256 yards. This tournament uh, is known as the fifth major. It's not technically a major championship, but it is definitely on the level of a major championship. That's the best non-major field of the year, probably the strongest field of the year. Uh, this weekend, we saw 48 of the top 50 players in the official World Golf Rankings tee it up out there. The only two that were missing were Bryson DeChambeau and Harris English. Uh, the course itself, of course, we have the iconic par 3 17th hole, the Island Green that uh, has been one of the most famous holes in all of golf, maybe the famous hole in all of golf. Uh, this past weekend was also the first Players' Championship since 1994 that did not feature either Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson. So a little bit a uh, little bit of a new look to the field uh, without those legends in there. And then attendance for this thing this past year was uh, back to full capacity after last year being limited due to COVID. And then uh, the year before in 2020, uh, this tournament had actually played one round before the rest of it got postponed. It was right when COVID broke, the very first when the sports world shut down uh, March of 2020, uh, they played one round and then it got canceled. So uh, just a kind of a unique unique atmosphere again uh, with, with the loaded uh, stands. Uh, but this, this weekend's tournament, uh, the weather was absolutely horrendous. And it, it made it to where uh, it was kind of 
unwatchable. I mean, it was unwatchable because there were so many delays. Basically, there was a several-hour delay on Thursday, which carried over into Friday. Uh, Friday, it rained pretty much all day there. Uh, the first round of this tournament did not get completed in its entirety until Saturday. So you heard that right. First round did not finish until Saturday. So they hurried and got that done. They started the second round, okay? And um, the second round actually carried into Sunday, okay, where they finished the second round on Sunday, hurried up, they made the cuts, they started the third round on Sunday, got most of that played. They finished the third round on Monday early and were able to squeeze in uh, the fourth round in its entirety on Monday as well. So we had a Monday finish to this thing. They had uh, threesomes paired up on, uh, you know, start. you got half starting on the front, half starting on the back. So they were moving pretty good uh, on this. But uh, in addition to all the rain that, that the, we had in Florida this past week and the wet conditions that that caused, the wind was a substantial factor. Uh, on Saturday and Sunday, there were wind gusts of, of over 30 miles an hour, some cases 35 miles an hour. Uh, I, I saw a quote that said Justin Thomas was hitting his pitching wedge 185 yards, which is just insane. Um, but I mentioned this tournament was tough to watch. Uh, you know, it just it, it took forever to get started with all the delays, uh, you know, with the second round, the cuts not being made until Sunday, it just, it, it took a long time to develop. And the main reason that it was tough to watch is that with, with the strong field that we had best field of, of the year, pretty much, there weren't really a whole lot of sexy names up near the top of the leaderboard, uh, at all, really, uh, for, for any of the rounds. Okay. It was, it was kind of a, a lackluster leaderboard, so to speak. All, you know, several of the top golfers in the world uh, missed the cut. You know, Patrick Cantlay, Colin Morikawa, those guys missed the cut, all right? And, and so um, they kind of got screwed by the weather, uh, not being able to finish their first round or second round um, without having to play extra holes that day or whatever. So it was, uh, I think Morikawa only played two or three holes on Thursday before it got shut down. So you know, it just really was not, uh, you know, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, those guys were near the bottom of the leaderboard up until that final round uh, on Monday uh, where they turned it around. But uh, nonetheless, it was just a just a very, very kind of lackluster tournament for, for like I said, for, for the amount of horsepower that was in the field. It just was not something that was... Um, I, I thought it was, I'm as big a golf fan as anybody, and it, it took me a while to really kind of get into it. Um, you know, I've, I've found myself, you know, having to, you know, make, go out of my way to watch it, whereas normally on, on an average tournament, that's not the case. Um, but in the end, your winner was Cameron Smith. It was his fifth career victory on tour, and it was the sixth time that an Australian player has won the Players' Championship, all right? And Cameron Smith, uh, he was just an absolute monster all weekend long, okay? He, he of course, he, he played pretty well throughout the entire um, weekend, so to speak, uh, or week, you know, it was a, basically a five-day tournament, um, but he really won this thing with his putter, okay? Um, Cam Smith, he had 10 birdies in the final round on Sunday, which was just uh, insane. He, 
came out, you know, like I said, his shots were obviously were there, right? But he he really kind of won this thing with the flat stick. Um, he was Cameron Smith was plus eleven point five one in strokes gained putting, which led the field by a mile. And he he only had a hundred and one putts on the seventy two holes over the weekend, including forty two one putts. He one-putted 42 of the 72 holes, like I said, including them 10 birdies in that final round. Okay, just an unbelievable performance by Cam Smith. He was really kind of the only um, big name that was consistently in it all weekend. Okay, Cameron Smith won with a final score of 13 under par. Uh, his best round was was on Monday's fourth round. He shot uh, a 6-under 66 to seal the deal, but uh, second place was Anir Ben Lahiri at 12 under, third place Paul Casey at 11 under, and then fourth was Kevin Kistner at 10 under, fifth place was Keegan Bradley at 9 under, okay, and then like this, like I talked about, these names on the leaderboard are not people that you would want to watch, especially in a big tournament like this, tied for sixth at 8 under par, you had Harold Varner the third, Russell Knox, and Doug Gim. Tied for ninth at seven under par, you had Sepp Straka, Adam Hadwin, uh, Adam Hadwin, and then you had Victor Hovland and Dustin Johnson, who was only up there because he shot a nine under sixty three on Monday's final round. Just insane performance by DJ. So outside of uh, you know Cameron Smith, it, it took you what ten golfers almost that I named uh, before I got to Hovland and Dustin Johnson, and they weren't even in contention. They were still six shots back of Cameron Smith. So like I said, it just was not a very appealing leaderboard, very difficult to watch. Um, but uh, Cameron Smith, like I said, fifth career victory. Not only was it his biggest victory, being the Players' Championship, the unofficial fifth major, but it was the biggest purse of any single golf tournament in PGA Tour history. Total purse was $20 million. Cameron Smith, with his, with his victory, won $3.6 million, which is about $1.5 million more um, than a major championship would get you. But Again, just very strange weekend there at TPC Sawgrass, which brings us to this weekend's tournament, which is the Valspar Championship. That is played at the Innisbrook Resort, the Copperhead Course. That's in Palm Harbor, Florida. It's a par 71. Distance is 7,340 yards. Okay, this is the fourth and final leg of the Florida Swing before the tour heads over uh, around the country. We've got a couple of events coming up here in Texas in the next few weeks. But uh, Innisbrook is a is a difficult course. The par seventy one, uh, you know, it makes it a little bit more challenging. The distance does as well. Uh, but similarly to what we saw at PGA National a couple weeks ago with the Bear Trap, the uh, Innisbrook, the Copperhead course, has a very tough three hole stretch called the Snake Pit. You got two long par fours sandwiched in between a uh, just a massive par three that plays over two hundred yards. Uh, it's that, that stretch there is, is the most difficult on the course and, uh, it just makes for some very challenging golf Of course with Florida, the weather that we saw last weekend, who the hell knows what's going to happen this weekend. Uh, but the field itself for this tournament is certainly above average. You have 20 of the top 50 players in the official world golf rankings, teeing it up out there, including five of the top 10 players in the world. Those would be Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, Xander Schauffele, Justin Thomas, and Dustin Johnson. So those five of the top 10 will be out there 
along with 15 other of the top 50 players in the world. So uh, it should, hopefully, if the weather cooperates, it should be a good tournament. Uh, the defending champion, Sam Burns, he is number 17th in the world rankings. He will be out there looking to defend his title. Uh, he just put on uh, a clinic last year, uh, pretty much leading uh, in, in a lot of the strokes gained categories throughout the weekend. So uh, I will be tuned into the Valspar Championship this weekend, and uh, I hope the PGA can kind of redeem itself after after that uh, blunder last weekend. But we'll have to take a look this weekend and see if that is the case. But that brings us to the NCAA and March Madness. We are officially at the March Madness uh, men's college basketball tournament, and uh, the brackets have been released this past weekend. And, man, we got some good matchups. I've been saying this the last several episodes where we've done uh, the AP Top 25 rankings in that uh, this year, more so really than, than in years past, uh, this tournament's kind of wide open. Uh, there's there's legitimately 12 to 15 teams that I think could win the national title, like just by looking at it. Um, I, you know, we could go over all those reasonings or whatever, but uh, if you look at the bracket, I you know you can you can legitimately pick 12 to 15 teams that would have a decent chance to win. So the bracket was released. Okay, uh, on the men's side, your four number one seeds. Well, I'll just read the top three seeds in each region, okay, just to keep it keep it uh, uniform. In the West region, the number one seed, Gonzaga. The Bulldogs are the overall number one seed for the second straight year. All right, uh, they lost in the national title game last year, and um, so we'll we'll have to see. Uh, I, I like them to win it all. I, I have filled out a bracket and I have picked Gonzaga to win. Uh, but the number two seed in the West is Duke. The Blue Devils, uh, pretty formidable opponent if those two were to meet. They've already played once this year. Duke got the better of Gonzaga, but uh, I would certainly look for that to be a possible rematch here um, once we get to the Elite Eight. The number three seed in the West is Texas Tech. Uh, they've really come on late, um, lost in the Big 12 championship game. I think they had a legitimate case to be number two seed in the tournament, but they sit as a number two seed. So the West looks pretty strong with those top three teams. Uh, over in the East region, the top seed is Baylor, all right? And, um, you know, they uh, they did not play in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, they've kind of been dealing with some injuries. Their top scorer is going to miss the first two rounds of the tournament they just announced. So uh, that Adam Flagler is going to have to step up uh, and, and score some points. But yeah, Baylor is Baylor's certainly going to be uh, tough to play. The number two seed in the East region, Kentucky Wildcats. Okay, uh, Kentucky obviously with uh, that the, the lineup that they throw out there. Uh, Toshibwe, he might be the player of the year. He might win the Wooden Award. Uh, dude averages a double double, uh, including fifteen rebounds a game. I mean that's just insane. Uh, Kentucky's going to be tough to beat. And the number three seed in that East region is the Purdue Boilermakers. Now, Purdue was the number one team in the country for, uh, I believe, two weeks in a row, maybe three earlier this year. Uh, they have Jaden Ivey, who's one of the best pure scorers in the tournament. And, uh, yeah, you know, again, Baylor, Kentucky, Purdue, the East is is certainly loaded as well. 
Over in the South region, the top overall seeds, the Arizona Wildcats. Uh, they uh, they might be the best team in the country. Uh, they certainly, when they are on, they look like it. Uh, when they when they step on the floor, uh, they certainly look like they might be the best team in the country. Um, the number two seed over in that South region is Villanova. Okay, Villanova's kind of been. Um, I, I would say they're probably the the worst of the two seeds in terms of you know overall play. But um, Jay Wright, one of the better coaches in college basketball, uh, he's got those guys lined up, ready to go. So uh, Villanova is going to be a tough out. And then the three seed in that South region is Tennessee. Okay, they uh, the SEC champions. You know. <sighs> I don't think the South region is as difficult as the West or the East. Okay, I think the East and the West are, are a little tougher uh, in terms of the the top end of of those uh, regions, but um, still uh, a tough task for anybody there in the South. And then in the Midwest region, the top seed there is Kansas. Okay, they won the Big Twelve tournament, beat Texas Tech. Uh, Big 12, obviously one of the best conferences in college basketball. Uh, so certainly look for Bill Self to get those Jayhawks uh, as close to the championship game as, as he can. Uh, the number two seed is Auburn. They were uh, the number one team in the country for several weeks uh, as well. Uh, they played really well um, throughout most of the year. Kind of had a few hiccups late in the year, but... Um, Jabari Smith looks like he might be the number one overall pick in the NBA draft, possibly. Uh, so keep an eye out for Auburn. And then the number three seed in the Midwest is Wisconsin. Okay, they uh, they can score, and they're going to be a really tough out as well. So uh, Midwest is certainly stronger than the e or the South. I mean, the East and the West are on one half of the bracket. The South and the Midwest are on the other side. So. Um, I like Midwest's chances better than the South, at least to have a representative uh, in that national title game. But, uh, yeah, so, so March Madness is here. Now, there's a few things of of note, really, uh, regarding this March Madness tournament. You know, I don't, we don't need to go through and do predictions and all that. Everybody, everybody fills out a bracket, so you all have your own opinion of who you think is going to win. Like I said, my bracket is complete, and I have picked the Gonzaga Bulldogs to win. Uh, that duo of Chet Holmgren, uh, Drew Timmy, you know Andrew Nembard, that lineup is 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 pretty scary. And of course, Mark Few again, one of the best coaches in college basketball. I like the Bulldogs to win it all, so we don't need to go through any predictions. But what I do want to highlight here regarding the uh, bracket itself, just in a general sense, is that a seven seed or lower has made the final four in seven of the last eight tournaments. Okay, so we've we've seen some low seeds make the final four uh, in seven of the last eight tournaments. Uh, it's it's fairly easy to pick all the number one seeds to represent the uh, the regions in the final four, but that has only happened once in the history of the March Madness tournament. Only one time have all four number one seeds made it to the final four. And I, with the way college basketball is this year. Uh, I would certainly say that this 
that is not going to be the case this year. We, we will not see four number one seeds in the final four. That I can almost guarantee you. Now, the number one seeds are very good, but uh, there's, there's, with the, the way that basketball has been this year, there's zero chance that we see a final four of Gonzaga, Baylor, Arizona, and Kansas. That's just not happening. And then uh, a 12 seed in the tournament has won a game in 31 out of the 36 March Madness tournaments since we went to this uh, round of 64 format. Uh, 31 out of 36 has a, a 12 seed won a game. So there's some pretty good 12 seeds uh, again this year, some sneaky picks. Uh, I, I believe that we see a 12 seed. And then continuing that trend, thir- a 13 seed has won a game in 15 of the last 20 tournaments. Okay, so uh, I would, I, like I said, I, I would expect that we see a 12 and a 13 seed uh, at least win a game in the round of uh, 64. My favorite 13 seed, um, I'll just give you a kind of a, you know, a 12 and a, and a 13. Uh, starting with 13, my favorite 13 seed is is in the Midwest region. It's South Dakota State. Okay, they play Providence in the first game. South Dakota State's won 21 games in a row. Okay, they, they average uh, like 83 points a game, I think. And uh, they just, their BPI is good enough to where they, it makes them actually competitive when you compare it against, um, you know, high-profile programs. So, the Jackrabbits of South Dakota State. I uh, I like them to make some noise. Okay, and then as far as the twelve seed, um, you know, there's a couple that that are that are decent. Uh, New Mexico State over UConn. I can see that game being an upset, and I can also see Indiana as a twelve seed beating St. Mary's number five. Now Indiana just beat Wyoming the other night to get into the tournament. Um, they had a play-in game with Wyoming to get into that official 12 spot there in the East region. But I can see Indiana beating St. Mary's, and I can also see New Mexico State beating UConn as the 12 seed to win a game. So um, tournaments uh, starting this week, uh, maybe maybe it's already started by the time you're listening to this podcast, but uh, either way, March Madness is here, and I think this is definitely shaping up to be one of the best March Madness tournaments we've ever seen. Uh, this is about as unpredictable a year as as I can remember in college basketball. And filling out a bracket this year uh, has been more difficult, really, than any other year, just because of the open competitiveness of a lot of these teams. Uh, it's just you can't, you know, I, I, nobody can definitively tell me who's going to be in the Final Four this year. Whereas in other years, you might have been able to kind of. You know, tell me one way or the other who the Final Four is going to be, or at least get three of the four teams this year. Who knows? Uh, it's really wide open. So um, we'll we'll continue to update it um, as we uh, progress through the tournament uh, each week here on the podcast. Uh, tournaments, you know, a few weeks long, so we'll have a couple episodes throughout the tournament to keep you updated. But um, like I said, March Madness is here. Uh, certainly, the best time of year for college basketball. But we'll move over to Major League Baseball, and we officially have an end to the lockout. Okay, now last week's episode, uh, we had talked that uh, the lockout was still going, and they had several 
long 15, 16 hour days where the MLB and the MLB Players Association had met with no agreement. Uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred had come out and said that they were going to cancel the first two series. Uh, There was rumor that he was going to cancel the next two series if they didn't come to an agreement. But we don't have to worry about that because Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association this past week, they reached an agreement on a new collective bargaining agreement, which uh, was on the 99th day of the lockout. So the lockout of 99 days was the second longest lockout in the history of Major League Baseball. And the good news is that they got it done in time to where Commissioner Manfred has um, recanted his take on canceling the first two series of the season. So there will be a full 162-game regular season being played here in Major League Baseball. Uh, Spring training has already began so far. Um, You know, uh, players have shown up to their spring training sites. We're about to start some spring training games, uh, which is in preparation for opening day, which is coming up fast. Uh, Opening day for Major League Baseball is April 7th. Okay, so that is... um, about two and a half weeks away. About we'll say we'll call it three, three weeks away, uh, as as of this recording, three weeks away uh, from opening day, which is always very exciting. Now uh, the highlights of the new collective bargaining agreement. Uh, we'll talk about those. Okay, you know, obviously there's a thousand pages of, of verbiage, but uh, the highlights, the main important pieces of information that uh, were agreed upon were uh, the playoff teams. We talked last week that there was some contention about expanding the playoffs. Well, that actually did happen. So in a uh, yesteryear, Major League Baseball sent 10 teams to the playoffs. Uh, This year, moving forward, it is increasing to 12 teams. Okay, so we are getting two additional playoff teams uh, in Major League Baseball. And of course, we have already mentioned this several times, the universal designated hitter rule, which means that pitchers in the National League will no longer hit. The National League has officially adopted the designated hitter, which is huge, something that should have really happened a long time ago. Uh, Nobody wants to see pitchers hit. Uh, It's pretty much an automatic out. Uh, You know, sure, there's there's a few guys that, a few pitchers that can hit the ball and hit it well, Uh, but for the most part, um, you know, every nine out of every 10 pitchers uh, strike out, and so it's it's just one of those that, um, you know, uh, we don't have to watch that anymore. We can actually see a lineup of nine actual hitters, all right? So that's that's important, and uh, just some money issue, the increased minimum salary uh, for, for uh, rookies or uh, younger players, uh, that was something that the Players Association wanted, obviously, to, to be more secure in, in the finances, on that aspect. So there's an increased minimum salary. Then a couple of the bigger highlights was that Major League Baseball removed the seven-inning doubleheaders that we've seen basically the last year and a half. It was all last season and then the shortened season before that uh, with the COVID year. Uh, the seven-inning doubleheaders are no longer going to be a thing. So if, if the team plays a doubleheader, it will be two full nine-inning games, which is nice. Uh, the seven-inning doubleheader was uh, was kind of a, a headache, especially for fantasy baseball, for those of you that play um, like I do. Uh, it's It just made it a little more complicated. Um, you know, baseball is supposed to be nine innings, so 
Uh, no more seven-inning doubleheaders. And then the extra extra innings rule, where uh, extra innings started off, you had a runner on second base for each team. That has been removed as well. So we will play extra inning baseball just the same as it has played the first nine innings. So those are two big things there. And then uh, the draft lottery. Okay, Major League Baseball has implemented a draft lottery, very similarly to how we see it in the NHL and the NBA. All right. Uh, This basically, uh, in theory, the lottery should prohibit tanking. All right. Which I, in in episodes, uh, since I've been doing this podcast, this has come up several times, the draft lottery uh, between the National Hockey League and the National Basketball Association. I am not a fan of the draft lottery. I I think the NFL does it the best. Whether you want a, a team to tank or not, I mean, that's, it makes the lottery makes it to where the worst team in the league doesn't necessarily get the first pick. So you're you're basically it doesn't help them at all. Um, we've seen that a lot come up here recently in the National Hockey League, uh, where a team that you know even the brand for example this past year in the NHL, the expansion team, the Seattle Kraken, they didn't get the first pick in the draft. They got the second pick because they lost the draft lottery. Now that tell me how that makes sense. It it doesn't, and so this you know the NFL, like I said, they do it right, where the the last team in the league, worst team picks first, and the best team, Super Bowl winner, picks last. Uh, I think that needs to be implemented across the board between all four of the major pro sports. But uh, ironically enough, the NFL is actually the only league of the major uh, four pro sports to not have a draft lottery. So. Um, Baseball been wanting a draft lottery. Now there's there's like a hundred rounds in the MLB draft, so you know baseball is a little different when it comes to that. But uh, they did implement the lottery to prevent tanking, or at least the intent is to prevent tanking. A team can still try and tank to get more ping pong balls in the uh, the drawing basket, but uh, either way, that's that's the theory behind it. So uh, there will be a draft lottery. And then something interesting, too, regarding the All-Star games is that All-Star games in Major League Baseball are no longer going to go in extra innings, okay? Uh, that's They're going to settle that by a home run derby. So uh, we'll see a home run derby the night before the All-Star game, as usual, and then uh, that'll be the tiebreaker if we are tied after nine innings in the actual All-Star game. And truthfully, I think this is a, a certainly something that they should have done uh, years ago, too, um, I mean, nobody, yeah, it's the all-star game. Yeah, you have, you know, but these guys, they don't, you know, they're just there for the, the fun of it. Um, so there's no need to, to risk any extra injury or, or anything with playing extra innings of a meaningless baseball game. So um, Home Run Derby will decide a tied all-star game after nine innings. And then one, I, this is this is also this final piece of news from the uh, the new collective bargaining agreement is that starting in 2023 okay we talked about a few other things last week that are going to start in 2023 uh, such as they're going to ban the shift in the field so you can't load up one side of the field uh, for a for a pole hitter so the shifts are going to be banned the bases will be bigger uh, but the other thing that they announced that's going to happen starting in 2023 is that every team schedule is going to feature at least one series with every other team in the league. Uh, So that means that every team is going to play every other team every year at least once 
and that's, again, starting in 2023. And with how many games baseball plays, I frankly have never understood why this hasn't been a thing prior to now. You know, I get the NFL, you only play 17 games, so you're not going to be able to play every other team. But in the NBA and the NHL, those two leagues have this format where you play every team in the league at least once. So baseball is now adopting that, and they play double the amount of games that hockey and basketball do. So uh, this has been long overdue as well, Uh, not only just for the competitive nature, but there's no need to play the same other four teams in your division 12 times, you know, 12 series throughout the year when you can squeeze in other series with teams that you don't normally play. So uh, I think this is this has been something that's long overdue, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, gives, you know, fans a chance to kind of travel and watch their team wherever they're at, even if it's in a, you know, a National League park that they don't go to, they may end up going there while you're there or something, you know, it just, it just makes it more competitive, more evenly. It it evens out the competition. If you play everybody at least once, you have at least some gauge to determine how good you are against that particular team for when the playoffs start and the World Series happens, because there's been World Series matchups where that have featured teams that haven't played each other, you know, so it's, um, baseball, I think hit a home run, uh, on their new CBA with these, with these things that they're implementing. I think it's definitely all for the better, and I'm looking forward to getting this uh, season started. Now, with the end of the lockout came the immediate opening of free agency and the trade market and all that, and there has been a flurry of activity, lots of trades, lots of important free agent signings. We're going to cover those in the Around the Island segment uh, because those are quick-hitting topics. Uh, We're just going to move right along through those. I don't this this segment of Major League Baseball was just simply focusing on the uh the the end of the lockout and the highlights of the new CBA. So um we'll we'll catch all the, the trades and the signings here shortly in the Around the Island segment. But we'll move on to the National Hockey League, do a standings update here in the NHL, do the uh wild card standings, which is the top three teams in each division plus the uh, wild card contenders at the moment. We'll start off in the Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division. Carolina Hurricanes are first with 87 points. Uh, second place, the New York Rangers with 81 points. Third place, Pittsburgh Penguins with 81 points. So Rangers and Penguins currently, as it sits right this minute, are tied at 81 points, six points back of the Hurricanes. Uh, but those three have been sitting in those spots for uh, the last uh, few episodes. Over in the Atlantic Division, uh, the Florida Panthers are up top there with 88 points. Tampa Bay Lightning are four points back at 84 points. And then three points back of them, the Toronto Maple Leafs are in third at the moment with 81 points. Now, all three of those teams have played 60 games, so that is current as of then. Uh, the <clears throat> uh, Back up to the Florida Panthers real quick. Uh, forward Jonathan Huberto, he broke the franchise record for the most assists in a single season with 63 this past week. Um, Season's got 22 games left, so he's just going to continue to break that. Uh, Wouldn't surprise me if he had close to 80 by the time it was all said and done. Uh, He was the previous record holder with 62 back in the 2018-2019 season. Now, your two wildcard teams uh, in the Eastern Conference, as it sits now, these these have been the two wildcard teams for a while, and I'm, I'm guessing that'll probably finish the season like this. The first wild card spot at the moment, the Boston Bruins, 79 points. 
And then second wildcard team at the moment, the Washington Capitals. They have 76 points. Now, with Washington, Alex Ovechkin scored his 767th career goal this past week, which passed uh, Hall of Famer Yarmir Yager for third most all-time in NHL history. And he trails Gordie Howe by 34 goals and Wayne Gretzky by 127 goals. So uh, you figure if Ovechkin can get... um, you know, another 15 to 20 goals this season, which would be a pretty good pace. They only have 21 games left, so we'll we'll say about 15 goals or so. Uh, he would he would be on track to pass Gordie Howe early next season for second all time, and then he's going to have to play another another few years to catch Gretzky. But uh, the first team out of the wild card spot in the East is the Columbus Blue Jackets with 65 points, so they're 11 points back of Washington and 14 points back of Boston. So uh, I, I just I don't see the Blue Jackets uh, making the playoffs. They got word this past week that their forward Alexander Texier, he's been granted an indefinite leave of absence for personal reasons. He requested it. Uh, he's been out for about a month and a half with a fractured finger, so he hasn't even been in their lineup. <clears throat> so that'll be interesting to see when, if he comes back. Uh, the New York Islanders have 57 points. They are... Uh, the second non-wildcard team. And then the Detroit Red Wings have been passed by the Islanders. The Islanders, uh, or the Red Wings rather, have lost uh, eight out of their last ten games. They have 55 points. Those are the only teams that can really mathematically catch uh, Washington and Boston. So Eastern Conference looks pretty wrapped up, uh, in my opinion. Um, But we'll have to see how that goes. Over in the Western Conference, the Central Division... The Colorado Avalanche are leading the charge with 91 points. They're just uh, a machine right now. Uh, The next closest team in the Central is the St. Louis Blues with 76 points, 15 points back. And then the Minnesota Wild are third in the Central with 74 points. Now, the Avalanche got some pretty bad news this week. Their captain, Gabriel Landeskog, he's going to be out indefinitely with a knee injury. Uh, He's already had surgery to repair the injury. And the hope is that he's back for the playoffs. But Colorado is so far ahead of the rest of the Western Conference that this this is kind of rather insignificant right now. Uh, it's only really going to become an issue if Landis Cog misses the playoffs or any part of the playoffs. But Colorado is so good, even without Landis Cog, that it's really not going to matter uh, at the moment. Uh, in the Pacific Division, the Calgary Flames are up top there with 81 points. They've won seven out of their last ten. Los Angeles Kings are second with 74 points. And the Edmonton Oilers are third with 70 points, although they've won a th- uh, they've won three games in a row. Your current wild card teams in the Western Conference: the first wild card is the Nashville Predators with 74 points. Uh, they are tied with Minnesota in points for that third spot in the Central, but Minnesota has the tiebreaker. Then your second wild card team in the West is the Vegas Golden Knights with 68 points. Now they've fallen quite a bit. They got passed by Edmonton this past week. Uh, Vegas, you know they're they're good enough. They should be in the playoffs, but uh, you know it looks like they only got 20 games left. Um, it's looking like it's going to be a photo finish uh, for Vegas possibly. The first team out of a wild card spot, my Dallas Stars. They got 67 points. They are. One point back of Vegas and seven points back of Nashville. Now, they got two games in hand on Nashville, but uh, the Stars, they've 
they've played 500 hockey over the last 10 games, and that is with a three-game losing streak that they are currently on. But And it went from bad to worse this week for the Stars. Uh, defenseman Miro Haskinen, he's out indefinitely uh, after contracting mononucleosis, or mono as it's called, which uh, is you know pretty pretty severe uh, virus and um, could have some lasting uh, impacts if he's not uh, held out for the proper amount of time. So keep an eye on that. Uh, stars are, are fading at the moment uh, after putting together a pretty good stretch. Uh, the second team out of wild card spot, just uh, tied with Dallas at 67 points, is the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets are uh, after them at 66 points. Anaheim Ducks have 65 points. And the San Jose Sharks have 60 points. So those are really the only the teams that can catch those wild card spots. Chicago, Arizona, and Seattle are out. Now, uh, I will make a note on Arizona. They scored a goal, or they scored nine goals in a game last week, which was the single highest goal total in a game in franchise history uh, since relocating from Winnipeg. So that is uh, pretty weird. Now, Arizona also is no longer the worst team in the Western Conference. Uh, Statistically, that is the Seattle Kraken with 42 points, uh, which is second worst in the NHL behind the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, most teams in the NHL have played uh, between 60 and 62 games. Uh, There's some teams that have played 58, uh, 59, but uh, right around that 20 games to go mark for much of the league. And um, like I said, the Eastern Conference is pretty much wrapped up. We just don't know the order. Uh, And then over in the West, it is very, very wide open. So it's going to be some exciting hockey here over the next uh, month, really. The, the season should finish uh, in the next few weeks. So uh, keep an eye on that, and we'll keep you updated as we go along. But we'll make a quick pivot over to the NBA, do a standings update here in the NBA. And we'll start off in the Eastern Conference. The Miami Heat are up top still at, with, at 46 and 24. They're two games in front of the Milwaukee Bucks, who are 44 and 26. Uh, they've won eight out of their last ten. The Bucks have uh, looking pretty good. Philadelphia 76ers are third in the East at 42 and 26. James Harden the other night passed Reggie Miller for third all time in three pointers made. He trails only Ray Allen and Steph Curry in that. And of course, Steph Curry had passed Ray Allen. I think it was earlier this season to break the record. And uh, every game that Curry plays, he just uh, continues to break the record, but more on Steph Curry here in a minute. Uh, The Boston Celtics are fourth in the East at 42 and 28. The, they've, they've been really hot too. They've won eight out of their last 10. The Chicago Bulls are fifth in the East at 41 and 28. Although they've lost two in a row and the Cleveland Cavaliers at 39 and 30 sit at sixth in the Eastern Conference. The one of the hotter teams in the league right now, the Toronto Raptors, are seventh in the East at thirty-nine and thirty. They've won five in a row. The Brooklyn Nets are eighth in the East at thirty-six and thirty-four, still firmly in that play-in tournament. Now, Kyrie Irving, the other night, he put up forty-one points in the first half of a game against the Orlando Magic, and he did so without a turnover, which was just impressive. He finished the game with sixty points which was his sixth career game with at least 50 points 
on seven or more made three-pointers, which passed Kobe Bryant for fourth most all-time such games. So uh, it is clear that the uh, Nets need Kyrie Irving in their lineup. The every uh, every other game or every every uh, away game uh, appearance that he makes is not going to be enough if they want to legitimately win a title. The ninth seed in the East is the Charlotte Hornets at thirty-five and thirty-five, and the Atlanta Hawks are tenth at thirty-four and thirty-five. Those are the teams that are uh, the top ten. Of course, the top six make it. And the seven through ten have a play-in tournament to determine who gets the actual 7th and 8th seed. The only two teams that have a chance in the Eastern Conference uh, legitimately to make the play-in tournament, the Washington Wizards, are uh, four and a half games back of Washington, and then the New York Knicks are a half game back of the Wizards, so uh, five games back of the Hawks. So those are the only two teams Uh, the Pistons and the Magic have officially been mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Over in the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns. They are the first team to officially mathematically clinch a playoff spot. They are 56 and 14. They've won three in a row, and they're doing this without Chris Paul. Um, he's still out. The second seed in the West at the moment, the Memphis Grizzlies at 48 and 22. They've won four in a row. Uh, they just continue their ascent into one of the elite teams of the Western Conference, although they're eight games back of Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix pretty much has the top seed in the West wrapped up. Memphis is eight games back. Third place in the West, Golden State Warriors. Uh, they're 47-23, and 23, uh, one game back of Memphis, nine back of Phoenix. They did get Draymond Green back into their lineup this week. He had missed uh, a couple months with a like a back issue or a month and a half with a back issue, uh, but they did lose Steph Curry. He has a sprained ligament in his left foot. He's going to miss some time. They expect him back around mid-April, which should put him there for the playoffs, but it is entirely possible that we have seen the last of regular season Steph Curry this year. Fourth seed in the West, the Utah Jazz at 43-26. and 26. Also sitting at 43-26, and 26, the fifth place Dallas Mavericks. Mavs have won eight out of their last ten, three in a row, uh, they've had two games this week in which Spencer Dinwiddie, the new acquisition, uh, has made game-winning three-point shots at the buzzer. Two separate games, once against Boston, once against Brooklyn. Spencer Dinwiddie hit game-winning three-pointers at the end of the game. Uh, the Mavs are for real, and that trade for Spencer Dinwiddie has been way better than anyone would have thought. You certainly don't want to see a talent like Kristaps Porzingis go, but with with what Dinwiddie does with the ball in his hands... Uh, freeing up Luka, allowing Jalen Brunson to get loose. This team is very balanced, and they play really good defense. Uh, In fact, the Mavericks, since the start of the new year, meaning January 1st, uh, they have 27 wins, which is second in the league behind Phoenix, who is on another level. But the Mavs are for real, and I'm excited because they, uh, you know, we've had some disappointing seasons here in Dallas this year with the Cowboys and stars kind of fading out. So the Mavericks uh, are, are giving us some hope here in Dallas to uh, maybe maybe make a deep playoff run. Sixth seed in the West, the Denver Nuggets at 42 and 28. Seventh seed, Minnesota Timberwolves at 41 and 30. Carl Anthony Towns had a 60 point, 15 rebound game the other day, just insane. 
Los Angeles Clippers are the eighth seed. Ninth seed in the West, the Los Angeles Lakers. All right, they're 29 and 40, 11 games under 500. Okay, uh, of course, they have LeBron James, which LeBron became the first player in NBA history to have 30,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, and 10,000 assists in his career. Um, he hit that plateau this week. But the Lakers, they go as LeBron James goes, and that's a problem because the Lakers, since the All-Star break a few weeks ago, um, they are 0-9 uh, when LeBron James does not score 50 points. He's had, I think, two or three 50-point games since the All-Star break, and the Lakers won those games, but in games that he did not score 50, they're 0-9. So you cannot count on a 50-burger from LeBron every single game. Can he do it? Certainly. Is he going to? No. And you can't live or die on that, uh, especially because the New Orleans Pelicans, they're the 10th seed. They are just one game back of L.A. for that ninth spot. San Antonio Spurs would be the first team out of the play-in tournament at the moment. They are uh, a game and a half back of New Orleans, uh, two and a half games back of Los Angeles. So the Lakers are in danger, grave danger of missing the playoffs in its entirety. Uh, Portland Trailblazers are the 12th seed. They're tied with the Spurs um, at uh, you know a game and a half back of New Orleans, and that's pretty much it. Sacramento is still hanging on, um, but they are four games back of the Pelicans at the moment. So um, the Thunder and the Rockets are not making the playoffs. But uh, the NBA, a lot of, most of the teams have played uh, around 60 eight to 70 games. So their, their season is going to finish, uh, shortly. So we'll, you know, most of the teams only have about, uh, 10 to 12 games left. So we'll see, uh, we'll keep you updated on how the playoff picture is shaping up and we'll maybe do a, a playoff picture preview next week instead of a standings update as we get a little closer to the end of the year. But we'll move on to our segment called around the Island. And that's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. Now, this week is it is a loaded around the island segment. Uh, NFL, MLB, free agency trades. We're going to hit it hard, and uh, some also some trades in the NHL as well. So, uh, buckle up and look alive because it is coming at you fast. Uh, before we're going to start in the NFL. All right, some football to get us started here. Before we get to all the major signings and trades that have gone down, we've had a few big pieces of uh, quarterback news from around the league. The biggest one is Tom Brady. Um, this past week, Tom Brady announced that he is returning to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's unretiring and coming back to Tampa for his 23rd season. He was retired for a whole two months and released a statement saying that retirement just wasn't what he was wanting to do. Uh, he was still feeling called to come back to the game, and so that's what he's doing. So Tampa Bay saved him a seat at the table, so Tom Brady is back in the NFL after a two-month retirement, which means that Major League Baseball's lockout was officially longer than Tom Brady's retirement. Not sure what the uh, over-under was on that prop bet, but uh, if, if you took the under, you are a winner. Uh, the other piece of quarterback news, there's two more, actually. Deshaun Watson. He's been a topic of conversation, you know, hasn't really been in the headlines a whole lot lately, um, but it was announced this past week that he will not face any criminal charges 
from any of the 22 civil lawsuits that he has pending for uh, basically sexual harassment. And uh, so that's good news for him. Of course, he was a healthy scratch all year this past year for Houston, didn't play as these uh, civil lawsuits kind of um, derailed his career. So he's looking to get back on track. It is very likely that he's going to be traded soon. And uh, as of this recording, the, the teams that have been kind of rumored to be in the front running for Deshaun Watson would be the New Orleans Saints, the Carolina Panthers, and the Atlanta Falcons. Um, of those three, I think the Saints have the uh, the, the biggest advantage, so to speak. Um, I think that is where a report I read said that the Saints are, are the leader in the clubhouse to trade for Watson, but who knows at this point. Uh, we'll see. You know, Carolina's got the sixth overall pick, so maybe they package that up. So, Certainly keep an eye on Deshaun Watson. Uh, Now, the final quarterback news is Baker Mayfield, the Cleveland Browns quarterback. He has officially requested a trade from Cleveland. Now, he posted a weird goodbye message on social media earlier this week, like just randomly. Um, There was a report that had come out that Cleveland was uh, calling Houston and inquiring about Deshaun Watson and it was right around that time that Mayfield basically put out some weird cryptic goodbye message, okay? Um, and it was like, you know, what the hell is this dude talking about? Um, but after it was announced that the Browns were no longer in the running for Deshaun Watson and that Mayfield was their starting quarterback, Baker Mayfield came out and officially requested a trade. And this happened, you know, this this was all this week. And he mentioned in this uh, statement that he put out that his relationship with the Cleveland Browns organization is uh, beyond repair. So certainly not some good news there in Cleveland. Uh, Mayfield's not that great of a quarterback anyways, so um, we'll have to see on that. I don't know what Mayfield's trade value would be. I don't know what team would, would immediately want to bring Mayfield in as a significant upgrade over who they had currently. So keep an eye on that. But here we go with the rapid-fire information from the NFL. We're going to start off with the trades. There were a few major trades. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying this does not... I'm not covering every single trade and every single free agent signing, although it might seem like it, uh, but I am not. Uh, there's still more that have happened. I'm just highlighting the bigger, bigger trades and bigger names that have gone down. The first one, Indianapolis Colts. They traded quarterback Carson Wentz and a second-round pick this year to the Washington Commanders. And that still sounds weird to say. Uh, in exchange for a second-round pick this year, a third-round pick this year, a third-round pick next year that be- can become a second-round pick if Carson Wentz plays 70% of the snaps, which, unless he gets hurt, he most certainly will. So, Carson Wentz heads back to the NFC East. Of course, he was the number two overall pick uh, in 2016, I believe, um, with Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, so he heads back to the NFC East. And now Carson Wentz, a former number two overall pick in the draft, in his career, he's been traded a few times. He has now been traded for three first-round picks, two second-round picks, four third-round picks, and one fourth-round pick. That's pretty good value for a former number two overall pick that has been, uh, you know, shown flashes of brilliance, but he's also shown flashes of just complete uh, dog shit football. So uh, interesting there for Wentz, you know, as a 
Dallas Cowboys fan, I I don't mind playing Wentz twice a year because the dude is a turnover machine. Uh, another trade that went down, the Chicago Bears. They traded all-pro linebacker DN Khalil Mack to the Los Angeles Chargers in exchange for a second-round pick this year and a sixth-round pick next year, uh, which seems like they could have... That seems kind of cheap for Khalil Mack. Now, I know Mack is like 31 years old, so he's not necessarily in his prime, uh, but the dude can still go. Uh, and that gives the ch- shout out to the Chargers for making that happen. Uh, they had now have Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa on the edge. And in a division that is loaded at quarterback, uh, that is certainly going to help them. <clears throat> um, Dallas Cowboys, my team, they uh, they did trade Amari Cooper instead of cutting him. Uh, they traded Amari Cooper in a sixth-round pick this year to the Cleveland Browns in exchange for a fifth-round pick and a sixth-round pick in this year's draft. Browns also retain all of Cooper's contract. Similarly to the Khalil Mack trade, I feel like the Cowboys could have gotten more for Amari Cooper, but they they messed up by making it publicly known that they were going to cut him uh, because that pretty much lowered his uh, return on what you could get. Um, I, I'd certainly like a fifth-round pick better than nothing because uh, they just swapped sixth-round picks. But I certainly like a fifth-round pick, especially in this year's draft. That's very deep. Uh, I just the Cowboys kind of shot themselves in the foot. If they would have kept it hush hush that they weren't uh, going to release him, uh, they they may have been able to get like a second or a third round pick for Cooper instead. So and and then you have your quarterback. You know they get Amari Cooper and then your quarterback Baker Mayfield says, "Oh, I don't want to be there anymore." So uh, go figure on that. Uh, the final important trade: the Las Vegas Raiders. They traded defensive end Yannick Ngakwe to the Indianapolis Colts in exchange for cornerback. Rock Yassin. So interesting swap of defensive players there. Uh, Raiders needed a good, solid corner uh, in this AFC West that is becoming more competitive by the day. And uh, they did so there. Now, they'll start off, we'll move over to the free agent signings that have happened. And starting off with the Vegas Raiders, they re-signed Pro Bowl defensive end Max Crosby to a four-year $95 million deal. And they also signed Pro Bowl defensive end Chandler Jones away from the Arizona Cardinals. So uh, they are really loading up that defense. You kind of have to. You play in a division with Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and now Russell Wilson. So you need a good defense there. The Dallas Cowboys re-signed wide receiver Michael Gallup, five years, $62.5 million. Arizona Cardinals re-signed Pro Bowl tight end Zach Ertz, three years, $31.65 million. Uh, the New England Patriots have been rather quiet so far. They have only re-signed corner Devin McCourty to a one-year $9 million deal. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, fresh off the news of, of getting Tom Brady back, they re-signed their center, Ryan Jensen, three years, $39 million, uh, one of the highest-paid centers in the league, and I certainly think that that was part of Brady's return because he's a huge piece to that offensive line. Uh, but the Buccaneers, they also re-signed corner Carlton Davis, three years and $45 million. And then Chris Godwin, we talked last episode about him getting the franchise tag. He went ahead and figured out a long-term deal, three years, $60 million. So Godwin stays in Tampa. The Green Bay Packers, they officially re-signed Aaron Rodgers. I think the contract was an extension of the one he had this year. So he's getting three years and $150 million. Uh, there's a bunch of 
you know, language in there that, you know, allows him to opt out over the next two years. But the point is, is Rodgers is officially re-signed, but we knew that was coming. Uh, the Packers also re-signed defensive end Preston Smith, four years, $52.5 million. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals, they swiped offensive guard Alex Kappa from Tampa Bay to a, a four-year, $40 million contract. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, with Ben Roethlisberger gone, they had a gap at quarterback, and uh, they signed a stopgap in Mitchell Trubisky, signed him to a two-year deal. I certainly don't think that is the long-term answer, and quarterback is very much still in play for them in this year's draft as they hold the number 20 overall pick. And they also, the Steelers, they signed linebacker Miles Jack, two years, $16 million, which is a very good signing. Jack's still a very good linebacker. He was cut by Jacksonville, former first-round pick. Um, I think he led the Jaguars in tackles last year, over 100. So uh, that's good for that Pittsburgh defense. New York Giants, they signed quarterback Tyrod Taylor, two years, $17 million. Kind of a high-priced backup, if you ask me. Uh, but this is Daniel Jones last year under contract. So this is a this is a make it or break it year for Daniel Jones. Uh if he gets hurt or if they decide to move on, they have Tyrod Taylor to take over whenever that is. Uh, Seattle Seahawks, they have re-signed Pro Bowl safety Quandre Diggs, three years and forty million. They also signed linebacker Uchenna Nuosu, two years and twenty million. The Detroit Lions, uh for a team that uh has has the number uh, two overall pick. They have not made very many moves. They did sign wide receiver DJ Chark to a one-year $12 million deal. The New York Jets signed tight end CJ Uzama, formerly of the Cincinnati Bengals, to a three-year $24 million deal. Kansas City Chiefs, uh, they replaced Tyron Matthew by signing safety Justin Reed, three years $31.5 million. San Francisco 49ers signed corner Charvarius Ward, three years and $42 million. Then the Baltimore Ravens, they went out, they got their safety, Marcus Williams, five years, $70 million. And they also had reported to sign Zadarius Smith away from the Packers, but that deal apparently fell through, so Smith is still a free agent. Interesting to know what happened there. Uh, the Buffalo Bills made a big, big splash. They signed Vaughn Miller to a six-year, $120 million deal. And uh, you have to think that the Von Miller at 30, about to be 33, that this is going to finish up his career in Buffalo. And I doubt he makes it all six years of that contract. Uh, but the Bills also, on the offensive side, they signed tight end O.J. Howard to a one-year, $3.5 million prove-it deal. So the New Orleans Saints, they replaced Marcus Williams, that safety that signed with Baltimore, by signing... Safety Marcus May to a three-year, $28.5 million deal. And then a couple of weird signings that went down. First in Washington, the Commanders re-signed running back J.D. McKissick to a two-year, $7 million deal. McKissick had originally announced that he was signing that same contract with the Buffalo Bills, but then a couple days later, backed out of that and announced that he's staying in Washington. I mentioned that because Randy Gregory, the Dallas Cowboys, did the same thing. He came out and said he was signing a five-year, $70 million deal with Dallas to stay here, uh, but then some language in the contract uh, kind of pissed him off. So Gregory flipped the script and signed with the Denver Broncos for that same five-year, $70 million contract, which the Cowboys have come out and said that that language is in everybody's contract except Dak Prescott. But for it basically protects the Cowboys 
uh, in case you get suspended or something like that, which Randy Gregory's been suspended, I think, three or four times, at least three times um, in the league since he's been in the league. And they've given him chance after chance, and he uh, basically told the Cowboys to go screw themselves. So not a fan of Randy Gregory at the moment. The Los Angeles teams both made a splash. Okay, Of course, we talked about the Khalil Mack trade, but the Chargers went out and signed corner J.C. Jackson the best corner on the market right now, five years, $82.5 million. Huge monster contract for J.C. Jackson. And then the Rams, they signed wide receiver Allen Robinson, three years, $45 million. So a big contract for Robinson. Uh, he's gone from Chicago over to L.A., so he should certainly see an uptick in targets, catches, and uh, wins. Philadelphia Eagles, they uh, re-signed, or they signed defensive end Hassan Reddick, three years, $45 million. He's originally from the Philly area, so it's kind of a, a homecoming for him. Minnesota Vikings uh, made some interesting news. They re-signed Kirk Cousins to a one-year, $35 million extension, which he's still under contract this year, so it's basically a, a two-year deal. It's going to pay him thirty-five. million. Uh, actually 40 this year, 30 the next, next year. And Cousins has just been the absolute king of these one-year, short-term, franchise tag-type contracts. And he's he's made an absolute ton of money without ever really having a long-term contract. The two busiest teams uh, so far in NFL free agency is the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Miami Dolphins. In Jacksonville, uh, they've made a bunch of signings, uh, one of which was very interesting we'll get to in a minute the first few signings they got corner Darius Williams three years 39 million of course he was with the Rams helped them win the Super Bowl Uh, they also signed wide receiver Zay Jones three years 24 million kind of a speed guy and then tight end Evan Ingram good former first round pick from the Giants to one year nine million dollar contract gives Lawrence an athletic tight end got him a couple of weapons there and then the most questionable signing by the Jaguars came when they signed Christian Kirk wide receiver uh, away from the Cardinals four years 84 million dollars that's 21 million a year now the signing itself isn't strange because Kirk is he's you know he's been in the league four years he's been a solid number two or number three wide receiver with Arizona behind DeAndre Hopkins um, but that's all he's been is a second or third off. He's never been a wide receiver one. And then you look at Green Bay, uh, Devontae Adams, best wide receiver in the league. He is playing on the franchise tag this year at $20 million. Now, Adams has already come out and said he's not playing on the franchise tag without a new deal, um, so keep an eye on that. But Christian Kirk's deal has to make you wonder what the hell Devontae Adams is going to get because if I'm Devontae Adams... I'm asking for everything under the sun and about $35 million per year. If Christian Kirk gets 21, I need at least 35 if I'm Devontae Adams. And I don't know where the hell they're going to get the money because Aaron Rodgers is going to be making 50 a year. So uh, put that together. Who knows? Uh, good luck there. But either way, the Jaguars uh, have spent some money. And then the Miami Dolphins were the other busy team. They went ahead and re-signed defensive end Emmanuel Ogba, four years, $65 million. He's He uh, gets after the quarterback pretty good. And then on offense, they really helped out uh, Tua Tagovailoa here. They signed a pair of running backs, uh, legitimate NFL-proven running backs. The first one is Chase Edmonds, two years, $12.6 million. And then they also signed Raheem Mostert, 
one year, $3.125 million. Now, he's, Mostert's coming off of torn ACL uh, surgery, so uh, that's more of a prove-it deal for Mostert. But you get Edmonds and Mostert. Both of them can catch the ball. Both of them are good running backs. Mostert has track speed. And um, those are two good running backs that the Dolphins really needed. Uh, they've not had good, consistent running back play in the last several years. And uh, I think that's that's something that they've been missing. So they'll definitely be helped out there. And then they followed those signings up by signing a pair of uh, Dallas Cowboys. Wide receiver Cedric Wilson got three years, $22.8 million, And then offensive guard Connor Williams got two years and $14 million. So lots of NFL free agent news and trades that have gone down. All right, uh, that's just up to date at the moment. There will be more that happened, and we'll cover some more next week. But there was also some uh, non-free agency news out of the NFL. Uh, the first big piece of that was deals with the new over or the overtime rule, right? We we talk about how you know in the NFL, uh, if the team that scores on the opening drive scores the touchdown, they win the game, not giving the team the other team a chance to to drive down the field. It's kind of screwed Buffalo in the playoffs against Kansas City, so. There's been three teams that have sent proposals in to the NFL regarding the overtime rule. The Philadelphia Eagles and the Indianapolis Colts have both sent proposals uh, that say uh, that both teams need to be allowed one possession in overtime. Okay, The Tennessee Titans sent in a proposal that says that teams should only uh, the teams get at least one possession in overtime unless the team that opens the overtime with the ball scores a touchdown and converts the two-point attempt. So to me, between these two proposals, if you're looking at doing something new uh, and changing it, I don't see how the Titans proposal really helps you, okay? Um yeah, they have to they score a touchdown, they have to get a two-point conversion, but that still doesn't give the other team the ball. I think the the whole purpose of giving the other team a chance to win is to, you know, basically level the playing field, so to speak, um, and not make it sudden death. NFL overtime on that opening drive is, is, you know, kind of a sudden death thing if, if the opening team scores a touchdown. But uh, I'm more of a fan of the Eagles and Colts proposal in which both teams get one possession, and then you kind of go from there. So um, we'll see on that. But the other news out of the NFL deals with broadcasting. Okay, a uh, couple big names getting moved around. Uh, first, it was reported that uh, ESPN college football analyst Kirk Herbstreet, he has officially been hired by Amazon to be the voice of Thursday Night Football, which is going to broadcast exclusively on Amazon Prime this year. Uh, the, the contract for Herb Street is a joint deal between Amazon and ESPN, so it actually allows Kirk Herbstreet to stay as the main analyst of college football on ESPN and ABC, and he's also obviously still going to be a part of college game day. So uh, look for Herb Street to be calling uh, Thursday night football here this upcoming NFL season. And then the uh, other piece of broadcasting news was the departure of a pair of Fox football announcers leaving Fox to go work for ESPN. And that duo is none other than Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Both of those guys are leaving Fox, and they have signed contracts with ESPN to be the new broadcast crew for ESPN Monday Night Football. Now, Troy Aikman's news came out uh, about a week and a half, maybe two weeks ago. It was announced that he uh, had been hired over at ESPN. Uh, but Joe Buck's news broke this past week. 
Uh, Buck still had one year remaining on his Fox contract that was worth $11 million, uh, but Fox let him out of that contract, uh, quote, as good gesture for his years of service. Uh, now, Joe Buck's ESPN contract is for five years, and it's expected to be between 60 and $75 million. So that's about 12 per year. So he is getting more money per year than he was making at Fox. Um, but that also means that Joe Buck is no longer going to be calling the other high-profile sporting events on Fox, such as the World Series. So uh, I'm in the rare minority here uh, that I actually enjoy listening to Joe Buck. I think he's a good announcer. Um, he does say some stupid shit every now and then, but they they all do, right? Um, I like Joe Buck. I like Troy Aikman as a tandem. They've been working together for a long time. Um, and so they, they work well, they call games really well. And, uh, I'm going to enjoy listening to them on Monday nights, uh, instead of Thursday nights when Fox held the broadcast. Um, and also on the uh, game of the week on Fox on Sunday. So I sure hope that Buck, uh, ends up doing more events on ESPN other than just Monday night football, because, uh, I, he's a good broadcaster and I enjoy listening to him. Um, but yeah, tons of NFL news to get into or that, that we just covered. Uh, keep an eye on that. We'll, we'll cover the other free agency stuff uh, here on the next episode. But we'll shift over to Major League Baseball. And uh, we talked earlier about the lockout ending. That meant that free agency and the trade market opened up immediately. And uh, boy, those have been just as hot as the NFL stuff that we just talked about. We'll start off with the trades in baseball. There's been a lot more uh, trading going on. First, the uh, Texas Rangers, they traded infielder Isaiah Kanafarlefa over to the Minnesota Twins in exchange for catcher Mitch Garver. Okay, that deal got done two days after the Rangers announced that Kanafarlefa would be their starting third baseman. So very interesting timing, but uh, I am a fan of that deal. Mitch Garver, we don't really, we haven't really had solid catching over here in Texas um, in several years. So Garver provides good stability behind the plate. Uh, and then the Twins, after getting Connor Falefa, they immediately turned around and traded him and third baseman Josh Donaldson to the New York Yankees in exchange for catcher Gary Sanchez and third baseman Gio Urshela. So interesting trade there. Uh, the Yankees getting rid of Sanchez and Urshela um, just to bring in Donaldson and Connor Falefa. I don't really know who won that, uh, that trade, to be honest with you. Uh, I think Urshela may be a better third baseman than counter Falefa, but Donaldson. Yeah, I don't know. It's that's a, that's very strange, but the twins also acquired Sonny Gray starting pitcher from the Cincinnati Reds, uh, in exchange for Chase Petty, the Seattle Mariners. They continued to bolster their lineup by acquiring outfielder, Jesse Winker and infielder Eugenio Suarez from the Cincinnati Reds in exchange for, uh, three, Four players, rather, and uh, Seattle. Man, they 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 have the longest playoff drought currently in Major League Baseball. They are looking to end that this year. Uh, Winker was a home run smasher this past year. I think Eugenio Suarez had thirty home runs himself. They also signed uh, AL Cy Young winner last year, Robbie Ray, to a hundred something million dollar contract before the lockout started. So. The Mariners are looking very, very good heading into spring training. And uh, when I do my baseball preview episode, do not be surprised if I have Seattle um, going pretty far in the playoffs. 
Uh, the New York Mets, they made a big move, too. They acquired starting pitcher Chris Bassett from the Oakland A's in exchange for a couple of highly rated uh, pitching prospects. Now, this move is interesting because the the Mets already have Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom, arguably two of the best pitchers in baseball. If you list the top five pitchers, you're not getting down to th- – either number three or number four, without listing both Scherzer and DeGrom. And then you throw in Bassett into that mix, and man, they got the best rotation in the National League. And a couple more trades to go over. The Kansas City Royals, they acquired relief pitcher Amir Garrett from the Cincinnati Reds in exchange for starting pitcher Mike Miner. And then the Oakland A's, they continued their fire sale. Okay, this was probably... um, the biggest trade, uh, one of the big, yeah, this was probably the biggest trade. The Oakland A's, uh, they continued their fire sale. Um, of course, they traded away Chris Bassett to the Mets, we just talked about, um, but they traded away two more high profile players. The first one was first baseman Matt Olson. Hit, dude hit like 40 home runs this year. He got traded to the Atlanta Braves in exchange for four prospects, one of which is outfielder Christian Pache, who did play in the World Series this past year. And then uh, Atlanta, immediately upon getting Matt Olson, Olson is from Atlanta, so he is he is a Georgia native. Uh, they re-signed Matt Olson to an eight-year, $168 million contract extension. Now, the A's, after getting rid of their best player, they went ahead and traded their second best player, Matt Chapman, third baseman, to the Toronto Blue Jays in exchange for four more prospects. So... Uh, the A's continue to collect prospects and trade their best players. So uh, interesting rebuild going on there in Oakland. Uh, good trade for the Blue Jays to get Chapman, two-time Gold, uh, Gold Glove Award winner, all-star. Uh, not necessarily a, a beast at the plate, but he is very good defensively, and he can hit some home runs. But uh, that Toronto lineup is pretty lethal as well. We're going to rattle through some uh, free agent signings. Don't have nearly as many as uh, the NFL, but... Uh, The Colorado Rockies signed the biggest contract. Uh, They signed uh, Chris Bryant, outfielder, third baseman. Chris Bryant, seven years, $182 million. The Los Angeles Dodgers uh, signed first baseman Freddie Freeman to a six-year, $162 million deal. You knew Freeman was out once uh, the Braves traded for Matt Olson. You knew Freeman was going to sign elsewhere. And uh, if you're going to leave a World Series winning team, why not go to the Dodgers? because they seem to be in and around the World Series every year. San Francisco Giants, they signed starting pitcher Carlos Rodon, two years, $44 million. They also signed outfielder Jock Peterson, one year, $6 million. The Dodgers also uh, signed Clayton Kershaw, re-signed Clayton Kershaw, one year, $17 million. Now, many people thought that he would, uh, Kershaw is from Dallas, Texas here, Uh, People thought he was going to come back home and sign with the Rangers. That did not happen. Uh, But the contract with the Dodgers is only for one year, so it's possible we see Kershaw here in Arlington uh, maybe next season. The Washington Nationals, they signed designated hitter Nelson Cruz, one year, $15 million. This is the first deal that you can definitively say would not have happened without the new rule changes. Okay, Nelson Cruz is strictly a designated hitter does not play anywhere in the field uh, these days. He can play outfield if he absolutely has to, uh, but since the Nationals now will utilize uh, a the universal designated hitter rule, uh, the Nationals signed Cruz. Philadelphia Phillies 
Signed Kyle Schwarber, four years, $79 million. Atlanta Braves, they re-signed uh, NLCS MVP Eddie Rosario, two years, $18 million. He was a key piece to that World Series team. Uh, Milwaukee Brewers signed Andrew McCutcheon. No details on the contract, but um, he's kind of up there in age, but he, he still got some pop. The New York Yankees re-signed first baseman Anthony Rizzo, two years, $32 million. All right, so they traded for him at the deadline last year, and he opted to stay with the Yankees. Kansas City Royals uh, signed starting pitcher Zach Grinke, one year, $13 million. Now, if you recall, Zach Grinke was actually drafted by the Kansas City Royals and played his first seven seasons with them. So um, he is reuniting there in Kansas City. The Chicago White Sox, they helped bolster the best bullpen in the Major League Baseball by signing relief pitcher Joe Kelly on a two-year deal. Uh, the Chicago Cubs, they made a couple of signings. The first one was shortstop Andrelton Simmons, one year, $4 million. And then the biggest signing came when they signed uh, Japanese sensation Sia Suzuki, five years, $85 million, which is the um, second largest contract for a Japanese professional player coming over to the U.S. I think it was behind Masahiro Tanaka was the, the, most, uh, the highest contract there. But this Suzuki fella, he's an outfielder. He played nine seasons in the uh, Nippon Professional Baseball League in Japan. He's a career 315 hitter, 182 home runs, 562 RBIs. That's pretty impressive. Um, that's We'll see how he does here in the States, but his stats in Japan sure are good. A uh, couple of pitcher signings. Texas, we signed Mar- Martin Perez to a one-year deal. He uh, reunites here after some years in Boston. And then the Detroit Tigers signed Andrew Chafin, two years, $13 million. Some non-Major League Baseball free agent news. Uh, the biggest piece came to us from the San Diego Padres. They, uh, their young phenom shortstop, Fernando Tatis Jr., it was announced that he's going to miss the first few months of the season after fracturing his wrist in the offseason. Now, the cause of the injury was reported to be something involving his motorcycle. Not sure if he wrecked his motorcycle or what. Um, but the Padres were so unhappy uh, that he this was a non-baseball-related injury that they were talking about voiding his $300 million contract that he signed last offseason. So uh, they've since come off of that and said they want to continue to build a good relationship with him, but that he has to make smarter decisions, obviously. Uh, certainly Padres go as Tatis goes, um, and if he's not in the lineup, they're not making the playoffs. Not a chance. Not in that NL West. Uh, a couple other baseball news. Um, the World Baseball Classic. It's been a few years since we've seen that. That is coming back here in 2023. So next spring, we'll see a new World Baseball Classic. That's always fun to uh, see those countries get out there. It's it's basically like a, a mini Olympics, you know, so to speak. Um, and then just to touch base on, on the the CBA one more time for the MLB, uh, I mentioned that the doubleheaders are, uh, are two nine-inning games now. They removed the seven-inning doubleheaders. Well, the MLB has scheduled a whole bunch of doubleheaders this upcoming season to make up for the 91 games that were lost by the original delayed start of the season due to the lockout. When when Manfred canceled the first two series, he had canceled 91 games. So they got to make those up because they uh, they are playing a full 162-game schedule. So in order to make those up, they scheduled a whole bunch of doubleheaders. 
uh, to make those 91 games up. And the plan for Major League Baseball is to end the regular season on October the 5th. So um, that's that's about where we where we land normally, uh, give or take. So they're they're trying to get it done on time there uh, in Major League Baseball. But we'll wrap up the Around the Island segment with some NHL news, and we'll just cover some trades. There's not nearly as much NHL news, so we'll just kind of make it quick. A couple of trades have gone down. Uh, the trade deadline is approaching. It's uh, March 21st is the deadline, so uh, by the time you listen to this, it may have already passed, but uh, we'll, we'll cover all the rest of the trades next week. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche, they've made a couple of them uh, so far. They're getting ready for that uh, that long playoff run they're expected to make after the dominating performance we've seen so far this season. The first trade they made, they traded forward Tyson Yost to Minnesota uh, in exchange for forward Marco Sturm. Uh, that's kind of a even trade, I would say. I don't know really who won that per se, but the Colorado Avalanche did win this trade in which they acquired defenseman Josh Manson from Anaheim in exchange for defensive prospect Drew Hellison and a second-round pick in next year's draft. So uh, Manson will step right in. He'll probably he'll be on one of the top two pairs uh, and uh, maybe get paired up with Kale McCarr. That would be pretty pretty legit there for the Avs, but that's a good trade for them. Uh, they are going all-in this year. The New York Rangers, they are serious about making the playoffs as they sit there in the second spot in the Metropolitan Division. They acquired Frank Vitrano forward from the Los, or the uh, Florida Panthers, rather, and um, all they sent was a fourth-round pick in the draft. So good acquisition for the Rangers. Only give up a fourth-rounder for uh, a good forward. Staying in the Eastern Conference, the Montreal Canadiens. They're last in the entire league. They traded their best defenseman, Ben Sherratt, to the Florida Panthers in exchange for uh, pros- uh, prospect Tyler Smilinak and a fourth-round pick this year's draft, a first-round pick in 2023. So uh, pretty good trade both ways there. You know, Montreal not really going anywhere. Florida gets a good solid top-pair defenseman there in Ben Sherratt. You can put him with Aaron Ekblad or put them on the second pair. Either way, that's a good good veteran acquisition there for the Panthers. And uh, the final trade that we'll go over is in the Western Conference. The Calgary Flames, they acquired forward Callie Yarncroke from the Seattle Kraken in exchange for three draft picks, a second rounder this year, a third rounder next year, and a seventh rounder in 2024. Uh, just kind of a weird trio of draft picks there, but Yarncroke is good. He should help the Flames. They're currently first in the Pacific Division. Uh, he is a pretty solid player uh, on that third line there in Calgary, so uh, I would expect him to make an impact to keep the Flames uh, solidly in the playoffs. Then some some contract extensions that were handed out. San Jose Sharks, they, they re-signed uh, forward Tomas Hurdle to eight years, $64 million extension. There were rumors that he may get traded, but uh, they decided to hang on to him. He is a key piece to that Sharks team that is fighting for a playoff spot. Carolina Hurricanes, they re-signed forward Jesperi Kotkaniemi to an eight-year contract. That's going to be worth $38.5 million, so about half as much as uh, Hurdle's, but uh, Kotkaniemi is still a very young player. This deal can't be uh, made official until after the trade deadline, but it is agreed to in principle. 
And then the Philadelphia Flyers re-signed defenseman Rasmus Ristolainen to a five-year, $25.5 million deal. Uh, they acquired Ristolainen this past offseason uh, from Buffalo, and uh, I guess they've liked what they have seen. So Ristolainen stays in Philly, and that is going to wrap up just a massive, massive loaded episode of around uh, well of Sports Island. The Around the Island segment is one of the biggest that we've done, and uh, we'll we'll still have lots more uh, NHL trade deadline news, uh, NA, uh, NFL and MLB free agency news and trades that'll go down in this next week that we'll cover next week. So there's still a lot to go over on next week's episode. In addition to March Madness. Um, as I sit here and record this, uh, there's already been one upset in the round of 64. So we'll go over all of that in next week's episode. But um, man, what a time in sports right now. And uh, just keep digging in and paying attention to sports because you it is there is so much to go over and, and talk about that. Um, I, I, this That's why this episode is an extended episode. So uh, hopefully we've got most of it covered for you to get you through to next week. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.